Hi guys, Cade Wilcox here, host of the Primitive Podcast. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. Today we have David Alderson. He's the owner of the Alderson Automotive Group, Mercedes-Benz, Lexus, BMW, Cadillac, Audi. Just a great conversation. I really enjoyed talking about the facet of their business. Uh, it's very much family-owned, started many generations ago. And so just listening to that history and that story and the dynamics of being involved in a family-owned business was really fun. And so hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, thank you uh, for joining us and, and being a faithful follower of the podcast. I uh, hope you enjoy this one. All right, David, thanks for uh, joining. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to be with me and, and uh, yeah, for being on the Primitive Podcast. So for those of you do, uh, that don't know David Alderson, tell us, tell us about you. David Alderson, okay, born in Lubbock, Texas in 1964. So I attended Texas Tech University, so I've been in Lubbock for quite a long time. Yeah. Uh, actually, my granddad showed up here in 1898. Wow. Yeah, came from, uh, he and my grandmother Alderson came from Haskell in rural Texas. Okay. I go back to them because, you know, they were, he started Alderson Cadillac in 1949. What was he doing prior to that? When he, I mean, what did he do initially? So my granddad was, I never knew him. Okay. uh, I'm the last of my generation and my dad was the youngest of three boys. So um, he passed away in 1960 and I was born in 64, but... I know a lot about him. So uh, my grandfather, um, pretty one of those great stories, uh, came from Tennessee. Um, my dad tells me that he was, I think they were Tennessee moonshiners. Because wow. I asked my dad one time, I said, what do we do? He said, well, we're kind of Tennessee moonshiners. <laughs> and he was one of five boys. And I guess the family from Tennessee, a lot of people were migrating to Texas at that time. This is in the late 1800s. They sent three of the boys to Fort Worth and two of them uh, it was my granddad Walter and his brother Homer to the Haskell and rural area. Okay. So he gets married and comes to Lubbock with like an eighth grade education, but he must have had a knack for business and, you know, um, and that was probably maybe not atypical of the day, you know, getting a college degree and coming from the yeah. farm or probably not things people did. But anyways, he ends up uh, working for Foxworth Galbraith and then he uh, gets to work for the Kirkendall family and he he works his way up to become the general manager for Kirkendall Chevrolet and he left there in 1948 to go find his own store so he called General Motors in Dallas and said hey you know I'm kind of looking for something and the Cadillac store came available in 1949 and we can come back to all that but yeah uh, he was um, and then he uh, bought the Cadillac store and then uh, he passed in 1960 but um he was credited with, he was on the board at Methodist Hospital when they did their first big expansion. He's also was on the building committee for the first Methodist uh, church cathedral. Wow. Yeah, the Cathedral of the West. It was Dr. High Robinson was a pastor and he approached my granddad. I can't remember the other gentleman, so forgive me for not having yeah. their names, but um, he was the one that led that building committee to build that beautiful wow. sanctuary. That's so. amazing. So, so uh, like, d- at what point was your dad involved in the family business? So my dad graduated tech in 52. Okay. Um, 
went off to uh, Biloxi, Mississippi because the Korean War was in, and so he was in the military. Uh, fortunately, uh, in, oh, I think it was early 53, uh, the Korean War ended the conflict. So he came back to Lubbock. He was an engineer. A lot of people that graduated tech were engineering students at that time. And my uh, his oldest brother, uh, Gene, and my uh, granddad were, worked, were running the store so he came into work, and then he decided, and it just worked out from there. Okay, cool. How many? So tell tell uh, those who don't know how many stores you have, and in in what that Alderson you know looks like now. Okay, so we have uh, six dealerships that represent five franchises. So we'll start at order. In downtown Lubbock, we have Cadillac. Uh, we added BMW in 1976. We added Lexus in 1991. Uh, then I. Uh, purchased the uh, Mercedes stores, which was there was a store in Lubbock and a store in Midland, Texas that was owned by the Britt family, and that was in December of 2006 when we added Mercedes in both those places, and then we opened Audi of Lubbock on the West Loop in uh, Lubbock in night 2017. Okay, and at what what when when did everything start expanding? Because it sounds like your granddad had one store, the Cadillac store. So kind of what season did, did the vision become multiple different brands, multiple different locations? Like what was really the catalyst behind that and who really drove that, that success? Well, I give my dad a lot of credit. He brought the BMW franchise in 1976. So BMW had just really come to the United States. But he had the foresight then to look for a luxury import. Okay. Um, and so that was... You know, 1976, there, you, know, you had Mercedes over here, and that was kind of it. So I give him a lot of credit for that. Um, personally, I've always had kind of a, an internal saying to myself. Uh, when I graduated tech, I went to, the idea, I went to tech thinking I was going to be in the car business. Uh, I'd been working there since 1979. And uh, I, when I decided that that was going to be my career, internally I just said, you know, I'm going to leave it bigger and better than when I found it. So I really had a great opportunity. You know, we had Cadillac and BMW at the time. Uh, but what's always motivated me was when I was done, when I completed my deal, I didn't want to just have Cadillac and BMW. Right. So I've always been driven by that. Cool. Third generations, typically in family business, the first generation is the risk taker, like my granddad, because they start with nothing, but they're wanting to do something big. Mm -hmm. Second generations tend to be maintainers. Uh, just by the nature of what they've got. Third generations tend to be more risk takers and want to in a growth mode. So maybe I fell into that, but yeah. it wasn't by reading a book. It was just, right. I just wanted to make sure that, again, my always said, leave it bigger and better than when I found it. Yeah. It sounds like you've had a really great experience in terms of family owned business. You know, a lot of times you'll kind of hear it go one of two ways. One way is it's really bad. You know, you kind of hear horror stories. And then the other way is it works. And so what, it, I mean, what, what uh, was the experience like for you when, when a lot of your family was still around and still actively involved and you were all kind of doing it together? I mean, what are, what are some of the things you learned and some of the experiences you had as it relates to a family-owned business? Oh, I think my father, one, um, he was really good. He was not, a, uh, I would say, hands-on, so I'm probably not that way. But when he, he made this statement about 1990, he said, Dave is going to take over as a general manager so I had the day-to-day -day operations in uh, February of 92. 
So we get to February of 92, we fast forward a couple of years and he's like, okay, and we had a dinner and I think all the managers forgot because he announced at that dinner, he goes, okay, here we are. It was January, we were at the Lovett Club and he announced that David's gonna take over and you could see the room kind of like, oh wow, the old guy wasn't kidding. And so I took over in, in, uh, as GM in February of 92 and my dad always wanted me to do things my way. He always told me that from a, you know, he didn't want to name me Junior. So um, I remember going into my first manager's meeting and I asked my dad if he wanted to come and he's like, nope. Wow. I don't, I don't it's all you. He said, I'm back wow. here, I'm watching. You know, he was always, he knew what was going on, but he wanted me to take over. So I was blessed to be able to do how I wanted to do it, you know, and we had some run-ins yeah. uh, over the way I wanted to do things <laughs> where he was still like, no, we're not going to do that yet. Yeah. Maybe after you bought me out totally or something. <laughs> you can spend all that money if you want to. <laughs> so um, in a family business, that's a blessing because it's not always that way. So that's that's probably first uh, that helped me a lot kind of get going faster um, and not having the managers look to my dad in the corner of the room. They were always looking to me. So you kind of, you know, by yeah. fire, you're thrown in the fire and you got to yeah. go. Um, then I, I tell you, years ago, uh, Lubbock National Bank started a deal called the Family Business Forum. They started that because they were seeing family businesses not be able to make it to the second or third or fourth generation, and the only option was the bank's customer, they would have to sell. They would sell the business and it would, um, you know, go to another company. And so um, they started this Family Business Forum, and in that, uh, they brought in people from like Wharton School of Business, Kellogg School of Business. There's a whole academia out there on family business, mm -hmm. what to do, what not to do. And so I actually, that was very early on. That was in the 90s, uh, so probably mid-90s. So it was timely for me because I was still very young. But to be able to learn and hear from people that had studied successful transitions over multiple generations versus unsuccessful right so uh, I still to this day um, those things helped me manage uh, the family working in the business the business and you know and to, to you know I think the third generation which I am I think it's like less than 15% make it Wow so so I'm those beating the odds good. yeah I'm beating, beating the odds for sure <laughs> but, uh, but I, I do give a lot of credit to that uh, it was about two years uh, just hearing the speakers and being able to study hmm. what works uh, with all sorts of different businesses. Yeah. Did it ever stress your mom out with, with you and your dad working closely together and the dynamics there? Or was she just kind of behind the scenes and kind of let y'all let y'all to it? Oh, no, no, no. She's uh, she's always been a big supporter. Never stressed her out. She was happy because she was ready to go and play. Yeah. And my dad, uh, he was older. You know, he was, see, he would have been 52 when I took over and um, he was like, well, he wanted me to get through tech because yeah. I was the only one in the whole family that was wanting to do the business. So if, if David didn't want to do this, they were going to have to find somebody to buy him out. So he was kind of hanging on and he had run it for since the late seventies. So he's like, okay, I want to go play. And so um, my mom was really glad for me to get there yeah. because then they started traveling <laughs> okay. and, you know, found a, a vacation home. That's and cool. So she was like, you get to work. That's great. Me and your father are going to go do something. <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome. So how do you see you, you have really good managers at all your locations. How do you see your role as, as the leader of the organization? You clearly own it, uh, which makes sense, but how do you see your role as a leader? Like how do you lead your people and what does that dynamic look like for you? Well, I think you have to 
know your style. You have to know yourself. I'm always big in a 360 degree appraisal. I think you have to know how what how you act, what you how you act around other people, how you interact uh, in business. Um, my style. So I think you have to work within your own style. Uh, I'm not a hands-on, as I mentioned previously. Um, so I think you have to surround yourself with people. And I've always enjoyed in the car business. We have a lot of full of life people. Um, I enjoy cars. Uh, am I a motor hound? No. Uh, but I love, I love the car business. I love the people in the car business. And so I've always enjoyed seeing our associates, um, grow, um, put their kids through college. So really for me, it's about trying to influence that within our department managers and our people of, you know, what you can accomplish in whatever career you have in the automobile business you know, all the way up, uh, I mean, throughout the entire organization. Yeah, that's good. How do you, how do you treat failure? I mean, what, like as, as you've gone through your career and as you've led your organizations, you know, and things haven't worked or you've experienced failure, I mean, do you have a specific approach that you take to learn from failure or like, what's that look like for David Alderson? Hmm. Well, I guess we're all sinners. We're all failures. Yeah. At some point. <laughs> um, I think one of the things I say over and over, especially to our managers, is we're all going to make mistakes. Um, just learn from it and fix it. And if it's a big one, let's not do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the more the successful managers, uh, successful leaders I've seen tend to uh, be able to minimize the big mistakes and learn from them and move on. Uh, and I think um, so. When you talk about failures, um, that's what I've tried to do. Um, Man, I'm not perfect, and there's some things. There's certain departments in my dealer, in our dealership, that I wish could have always been better. You know, I'm almost 56. I've been doing this a long time. I've been running the store since '92, so you know, I'm better at some things than others. Uh, some of our departments, I wish would have turned the corner and really been great. Yeah, but they're good. Um, so you just you have to expect that you know you can't be great at everything. But you just want to, you know, learn from those failures and, and, and try not to repeat them. Yeah. And uh, especially if I could teach that to the managers and everybody, that's good. It's, yeah. It's frustrating when you work with someone that can't figure that out. Yeah. You're almost into this for 40 years. I mean, you've been in the car industry longer, but I mean, in terms of really leading it, you're almost 40 years in. So, right? I mean, am I doing my math right? That's right. My first job, I couldn't even drive cars. I was, you know, I could wash them. I could dry them <laughs> off. That was 1979. Wow. So, yeah. So you've been at this a long time. I'm curious how you, how do you stay inspired? I mean, how do you, how do you stay sharp? How do you stay effective as a leader? Like, what do you do kind of for that source of encouragement for your own leadership? Oh, I think looking back, it's, it's the goals you set for yourself. Um, you know, when I was in the, when I started, I said my goal was, to leave it bigger and better than when I found it. So we've, we've checked that one off. Yeah. Um, I had a goal that this year I would be able to spend more time um, away from the business. Uh, so I had to develop, you know, our three general managers and our CFO. Uh, I set that goal about three years ago. So January, it was sometime in 97, I said, you know, by January of 20, I want to keep my head in the business and I want to be around it, but I really am going to, fully turn over day to day and feel like I trust and I have faith in them to execute and check with me if they need to. So, um, I I think you have to develop goals for yourself professionally. 
um, I think back to what I didn't want to do, and that's in our business, especially in the car business, you, um, I can name them, but it was the, uh, the image of the owner being hauled out of his office on a gurney because he never could go do anything else. Yeah. So that was being, that was something I never wanted to do. In fact, my dad told me that he said, don't do that to yourself, you know, make sure you develop people so that as you get to the point in your life in your fifties or sixties or whenever that is, right. you can go do other things. Yeah. That's good. Uh, what what's the car industry look like moving forward? I mean, you know, every industry is you know constantly changing um, as technology you know requires industries to innovate and, and either change or die. Really, it's kind of what what it feels like. What I mean, what do you anticipate the car industry looking like from your perspective? <clears throat> wow, that's a great question, especially right now going through the COVID nineteen situation. Um, I think we've been going to more of an online sales model um i don't think we're ever going to get to apple um i mean a car is a car it's not right. a telephone it's right. not amazon you know it's not a box of new underwear right <laughs> right um i i do think um you're going to see less brick and mortar and it's been interesting because probably since the early 2000s there's been a push to have these huge, big mm. dealerships, huge showrooms that can show all the product. And uh, now we're seeing where the showroom that's most important is your digital showroom. Mm. So, um, you know, the type of salespeople that we have, our associates are going to be different. Um, you know, uh, service and parts. Um, you know, we still have to maintain the vehicles. Um, but, you know, how we approach that. So I... I don't think the franchise system's going away, um, but if you look back, gosh, you look at all the things that have changed in the franchise system over the years since it was established back in the, what, 20s or 30s? So I think the, uh, the people that run dealerships are pretty entrepreneurial. Mm. Uh, if you're gonna be successful, you have to, and you have to adapt to change. So I fully figure that um, the next generation that comes up that's running retail um, will embrace those changes and do what they need to do. Has the consumer changed a lot in terms of expectations? Like I, I primarily think about convenience. Like I, I might be extreme in this, so uh, I take that for what it's worth. But like I think of even like service and maintenance. Like I don't, I don't want to have to like drop my car off and figure out what to do and then come back five or six hours later. Like, do you think like the consumer is changing? so rapidly that even things like parts and service and things of that nature will have to change? Or do you think it's pretty consistent with what it's always been? I, I think it changes. I mean, now, you know, we don't change oil every three or 5,000 miles like yeah. we used to. Um, electric vehicles are going to change that. Um, they say and by the year 2030, we're going to have 30% of the new car sold will be an electric vehicle. Wow. Well, if I'm a car dealer and I have all this uh, facility dedicated to service and parts, there's not much to do on an electric vehicle. I mean, you got some brakes, but you don't have all the engine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're probably not gonna have to have as many techs, um, although it's a very, it's a computer now. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, cars, they say something like, the cars now have as much electronics on them as a rocket that goes right. to the moon, stuff like that. But, so, um, you know, we, we need to be, we do all our communication digitally now. You know, we're going to send you a reply that says, here's what we found on your car. It's all text. It's email. Um, 
long car. So um, I think there'll be a reduction probably because of electric vehicles. Um, you know, and who knows, they might, if they could build an engine where you didn't have to change the oil for every 20,000 miles, they would do it because that would be a competitive advantage to that brand. Right. So if you, if you can do that, that's great. Then so the they're going to keep pushing the envelope. Yeah. They're going to yeah. keep, uh, I'm curious, this isn't a ran, totally random question, but the, is there an opinion of Elon Musk and Tesla within the larger, you know, auto industry? You know, he, he's really, you don't ever see any other auto industry leader in the public all the time. But you see, you see him because of SpaceX and Solar City and the Boring Company. I mean, the dude's running like four or five billion dollar companies, and so Tesla obviously gets a lion's share of that attention. But I'm curious, like you're in the industry, like do, do, do like your franchises? Do they talk about him? I mean, does he like you know consume a lot of oxygen in the room with all these other brands, or is he kind of a nobody to them because they've been in the industry forever? I'm just really curious what that looks like, if anything. I'll try to answer that as shortly as I can. When he first came on, everybody's like, oh, you know, but um, the smart people took notice of him. He has made an impact on the industry. Hmm. Uh, up until he came, none of the other brands were even thinking electric. They were thinking uh, diesel, biodiesel, uh, hydrogen, uh, you know, what's going to propel a car? Yeah. You know, we got to get off of uh, oil. Um, and so they were kind of toying with electric, but all of a sudden... Tesla comes and provides that really electricity is going to be the new, the new way for the most part. I mean, you're never going to be able to take a, a family across the country in an electric vehicle. It doesn't work, even with the best batteries 15 right. years from now. But around town, it's great. So now you see BMW, General Motors, Toyota, everybody's like, electricity, we got to go there. Now, I will give Lexus and Toyota credit. They came out with hybrid before that and they right. still do that and it's it's still very a, a viable solution but i think um he has uh, turned a lot of heads the uh the process of ordering uh kind of like an iphone he's mm -hmm. a technology company really right um so i think he's made everybody take note i've heard speakers from audi stand up and go let's just look at the numbers that tesla has done in the last two or three years it's very impressive you know they're selling more cars than a lot of current brands that are out there so um uh, now so he's made a huge impact he's made a huge impact yeah. um financially i think there's still some questions right you know um to really because without tax credits and a lot of things that business model for tesla doesn't work like it does for a bmw or a toyota right so i think those are some things that We'll see what happens. Yeah. I guess when you're using other people's money, profitability matters a lot less. That's, need, a, that's the head scratcher. One, yeah. I yeah. need one of those kind of companies I where profitability can, doesn't matter. We lost this much money, yet our <laughs> stock price went up. So, I'm like, okay. It makes no sense. Yeah. No, that's good. That's fascinating. A um, couple more questions for you. I mean, it sounds like you had a really close relationship with your dad, you know, from a working standpoint. What, what are some of the things you learned from him that you feel like made a really big impact on your own, own leadership? Oh, I think that what I mentioned earlier, just the fact that he had a trust in me, mm. um, you know, he, uh, you know, we had to buy him out, um, took, you know, almost 20 years to pay off he and my mother. But, you know, once we executed that and had the, the note and all the payments, it was amazing how he never really, I think I would have been been checking more, yeah. <laughs> calling questions. If we yeah. had a bad month, it's like, uh, he just took off. So I think the, the faith and the trust 
that he put in me was helped me a lot. That's really cool. Yeah, it's good. Well, thanks for all your time today. I uh, I, I love cars, and so I always admire you because I'm like, man, he he can just drive whatever car he wants, <laughs> and I have to I have to I I can't I I wish I had a new car every it year. It is a perk. No. Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. I know. You try to trade every year. We finally convince you that that's not what you need. And to I do. appreciate your honesty <laughs> in saying I don't think it's time, Kate. I think you should wait a little longer. So I, I know thanks your for being a good very friend. Happy about that. <laughs> thanks for being a good friend. So hey, thanks for your time. It's good to have you. Thank you, Kate.